All right, you guys can have a seat. Yes. So excited to be here tonight. Are you guys excited? What a, what a beautiful day, huh? Like, what, what, did anyone look at your uh, car temperature gauge? What, what, what was it today? Perfect. All you weather bug individual watchers. Well, we have spring and wearing purple tonight. I know it's a very manly color, but, you know, just want to feel the flavor of spring. And, and, and let me just say this, that, that if tonight's your first night here, um, welcome to Matthias' lot. It is amazing to have you here. We're a church community that believes very strongly that, that we need something else. That in and of ourselves we are not good and that the cross of Christ, the gospel of Jesus is what empowers us, enables us and makes us stand before the Father righteous. So if, if, you're, like, if you're here and you're like, man, I, I don't know the, the journey, I'm just, I'm just here checking it out, welcome to the journey, man. We're on a journey through the scriptures to discover who God is and where that makes us stand. Amen? Now, listen to this. In James chapter 1, verse 22, the scripture says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. Have you guys ever heard that verse before? Now, it's one of the classic Christian scriptures because it's one of those, those passages that is so practical. And it allows us just to like bear hug the thing, you know what I mean, Doug Paramore style, just, just bear hug the thing and just run with it because it's so practical. I'm, at the first glance, it's just, okay, yes, yeah, do not merely listen to the word, but do. Okay, I just go and do. The problem is the Christian tendency is to not understand the context, to not understand that James 1.22 was written with passages before it and after it. It was written by a specific author to a specific group of people at a specific time in history. So to just take a practical verse out of the scriptures and say, okay, now I understand the word of God is doing a disjustice to the word of God. Are you with me? Now, the reason why this is applicable to us tonight is we have begun our study of 1 John last week. Anyone excited about 1 John? Yes, what an amazing epistle it is so far. I, I, I love it. It's just fun to say that word epistle sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, it's like we don't even really know what that means, but that's what it is. It's great. Now, the reason why this applies to us is because First John is known as one of these very practical books. Like you could just open it and read it, and it's, it's, it's similar to James in that, in that there's just a lot of little um, nuggets of truth. That we could walk away and just say, oh, okay, so that's how I live, that's how I do, that's how I be. The problem, if we look at 1 John in that light, and don't understand authorship, don't understand who he's writing to, don't understand the time period in which he writes, we will do a disjustice to the Word of God. Are you with me? Are you with me? All four of us are going for it tonight. How exciting! Now, 1 John, let me remind you, is a book that is written, an epistle, excuse me, that is written by a grandpa, by a guy just filled with OMP, old man power, you know? This guy is just wise, he's touched Christ, he's heard Jesus, he's seen the miracles, he was a disciple, brother of James, son of Zebedee, partner with Peter, a fisherman, 
This is a guy who's writing to a group of churches in Asia Minor. Now, something's happened in Asia Minor. And all of us are like, yeah, perfect, Asia Minor. Well, it's, it's modern-day Turkey. Still, most of us don't know where that is. Okay, over there somewhere, right? He's writing to a group of churches that have been infiltrated with bad Christology, bad teaching, bad doctrine. In fact, to be more specific, this area of bad teaching is called Gnosticism. Now, his gospel and the epistle of 1 John are both written to the same audience. And basically, what Gnosticism is, is the theory that the flesh is evil and the spirit is what's good. And so both the Gospel of John and 1 John start out making the same argument. And what's the argument? In the beginning was the Word. In other words, Jesus was with God in the beginning and therefore is God. And Jesus took on flesh. He lived and He died and He resurrected. And so I'm going to write an epistle to you to encourage you, not just about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, but the life of Christ. What we looked at last week is that Jesus incarnated on this earth, taking on flesh and blood to show you and I, John 10.10, how to have life and life more. What? Abundantly. So, tonight when we open the scriptures... And by the way, we all should be opening the scriptures. If you haven't noticed, there's a little slot in front of you, old school style, with a Bible in it, okay? So I don't, I don't know if you've, if you've never even opened a Bible before. We're even going to put the page number, all right, up in the monitors, and it's great. It does, use that. Let's all hold the Word in our hands and open to 1 John chapter 1. By the way, that page number won't work for your individual Bibles, just in case there was some confusion there. It's for the pew Bibles. So when we dive in tonight, we need to understand, yes, very practical verses, but these are verses that have context, that have a a specific audience in mind, and so we're going to study that tonight. Now, here's our flow, here's our rhythm, just so we're all on the same page. What we're going to do is we're going to study this how I studied to teach it. We're going to read a verse. I'm going to ask two questions about the verse. We're then going to answer those questions, and then we're going to ask a personal question of reflection. Are you with me? So verse, two questions, we'll attack those two. Attack, you like my Mike Tyson there? We'll attack those two, and then we'll look at a personal question of reflection and move on. Are you all with me? Here we go. Verse 5 of First John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaim to you that God is what? is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Well, the first thing, before we ask a question that's beautiful, is John reiterates, this is the message we have heard. I have heard him say this. I have heard the words of Christ, and now I'm going to not just hear, but I'm going to proclaim. What a beautiful encouragement to us, isn't it? That we gather here, To not just learn and hear the Word of God, but to grow in it and to proclaim it. You see what I'm saying? That is the power of the living and active Word of God. First question, put this up for me. What does it mean for God to be in nature light? Now, the problem with this question is, 
Most of, our, most of us are like, well, I, I, I've seen light before, so I know exactly what this means, right? You're thinking of some like light bulb? You're like, of course. God is like a light bulb. He tur- I, and you're done, right? So let, let's break this down. For God to be in nature light biblically, we need to break it down into two different areas that the Bible talks about light. The first is intellectually. Now, light is always compared in Scripture to its exact opposite, darkness. Now, intellectually, light is truth. Over and over and over in Scripture, light represents truth. And darkness represents ignorance. And not just ignorance at times, but also deceit. So light is truth. Now, secondly, beyond beyond intellectually, let's talk morally or life-breathing. The scripture talks about light as being pure. The blood of Christ cleansed me and washed me whiter than pure. And darkness is what? Is evil, wretched, detached. So, if biblically, light intellectually is truth, and light morally is pure, then to say God is light is to say what? He is all true and He is all pure. Are you with me? When Scripture says God is light, that's what Scripture is saying. He's all true and He's all pure. Now, listen to this. This is amazing. If God is all true, do you understand that he can never not be consistent in his nature. He can never not be consistent. If he is all truth, if he is the very definition of truth, then that means his nature is consistent across the board. Is anyone else just sitting back and saying, that is beautiful? But not just that. Second question, look at this. What are the implications of being without darkness? A little bit of a toughie here, isn't it? He's not just light, but in him is no darkness at all. Now, at the first glance, what being without darkness means is that it means he is incapable of evil. That he is incapable of going against his all-true and all-pure nature. In Him is no darkness at all, but not just that. For Him to not have any darkness in Him means that He is constantly revealing by the light that is shown. Constantly revealing. Constantly calling. Constantly revealing. Now, many, many people will, will, would ask at this point, so what about Satan? We talk about all the time here that God is sovereign. Which literally means that God, everything is happening for Him, by Him, for His purposes, for His glory. If that's true, if that's true, then then why, then then Satan, like if God is sovereign, but yet He allows evil through Satan, then how isn't God evil? Are you guys with the equation? If He allows Satan to live, and Satan is clearly evil, then how is it that God is not evil? Let me say this. The allowance of something does not imply that you and I, or that God, namely, has that nature. 
Does that make sense? Now, Jeremy and Jason and I were talking about this earlier, and I just want to encourage you with this. This is, this is, a, tough, this is a tough even tidbit here, right? How can God have no darkness and still allow Satan to rule on this earth? Well, let me start here. To be all true and all light and have no darkness in him at all, that means that there are no hidden agendas with God. Are you with me? Zero hidden agendas. That means from the beginning of Scripture until the end of Scripture, and now in believers with the Holy Spirit, His agenda is 100% clear. He is, let me tell you, about His glory, period. Everything is happening for the glorification of Himself. That's His agenda. Some people struggle with that. When I open the Word, and I start in Genesis, and I look to the end... It is all about the glorification of God. And so, as he leaves Satan alive, it's to escalate the moment when the Savior will crush the head of the serpent with his heel. You see, God is outside, and this is what was our conversation today, and, and you can go in this in your own conversations. God is outside of our time and space. Are you with me? So to try to gauge good and evil on our standards and then thrust that upon God is completely irrelevant. Are you with me? He is the very definition of good, and we're trying to figure out what it means to be good and evil. Does that make sense? So we're going to move on from this point and just say, look, just because something allows something else doesn't mean it's, it doesn't mean it's a part of its nature. Now, personal question of reflection. Have you experienced God as light? How? When I was in college... Uh, I have some college friends here tonight, actually. It's good to have them here. When I was in college, uh, Heidi and I would always discern what parties to go to. And uh, this was a big discernment. And, and every year, uh, one of our discernments was that we were going to attend the Boo Bash. Now, the Boo Bash was the Halloween party, which gave me a chance to dress up. You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's be clear, right? And, uh, and so, I think I've shared this story maybe once here before, but, but one year, through a lot of thought, I, I came up with, with a, what I thought was going to be a great costume, a duct tape boy. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of duct tape boy before, but basically what I did is I wrapped my entire flesh with duct tape, okay? Um, n- literally no piece of flesh of me was showing. So I stood like this, and for two hours my friends wrapped me in duct tape. It was amazing until you have to go to the restroom after about three hours. You know what I'm saying? It takes a while, to, you know, it was bad, very bad. But, but I won, best costume ever. It was, it was great. Now, when Heidi and I would go to these parties, and we can, talk, you, we can talk later about my philosophy on going, not going, etc. But a big part of us going there was to, be, was to be there, but not be there. To be in relationship, but not be in relationship. But again, there's a whole other philosophy string that, need, that you need to attach be, beyond just saying, oh, well, Mark said, you know, that we can just, do, no. There, there's a whole, there was a big process to this. We would go. And the biggest, the biggest area that I see God as light in my life is when there, are, there is so much darkness around that it causes angst inside of you. Have you ever felt this before? Like I would go, we, we would go in and see all my football buddies and everything, and there are all these dark deeds that are happening all over this room. And inside, just feeling in angst. Because in me is God the promised Holy Spirit, sealed my heart at the moment of salvation. Are you with me? And so because of that, because God is light, 
And God is Father, God is Son, and God is Spirit, and the Spirit's now inside of me, and all those who believe, inside of you and I is what? Is light. And so when you, as a moving temple of God, like we've talked about before, go into areas that have tremendous darkness, it causes angst inside of you because they don't mesh light and dark. Now, here's what we do, unfortunately, and I struggle with this. You carry that angst over from not just the dark deeds, and all of a sudden you begin to hate not just the deed, but the doer of the deed. And I struggled with this, and I confessed this to Heidi many years ago, walking away from those and saying, Babe, I struggled here not just seeing these deeds as dark, but seeing these people as people that I began to hate Is there any more wretched of a thing that we could do? Yes, we are called to separate light and darkness. We're called to see darkness for what it is, to see light for what it is. It's another way of saying that we're to hate the sin and love the sinner. Why would we ever battle hate with hate? Are you with me? And so I want to encourage you guys that a part of our reality as bearers of the light is we will come in conflict with the darkness. But we must understand the scripture that says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Are you with me? But against the authorities of the dark world. When we begin to understand that, church, is when we begin to apply love to a world that needs Jesus just like you and I. All right? That's what that tension looks like when it's carried out. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him... While we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. First of all, the word fellowship. Last week we defined it as oneness, unity. To be in fellowship with God or fellowship with each other is to experience oneness and unity. All right, first question is this. What does it mean to walk in darkness? First of all, let's start with walk. Again, like the light bulb, we're like, well, of course we know what walk is. Have you ever stopped and just thought about a lot of the language that we use as Christians? Look, uh, many, many years ago, several of my friends, in their terminology, would, they'd walk up to me and they'd be like, so how's your walk with God going? Well, I attributed that to mean... How is my relationship with God going? But I never stopped just to ask the question. What is it with walk? You see what I'm saying? Like, what is the deal with this word walk? So, finally, in studying this passage, I finally took a step back and tried to understand the biblical implications of walking. Listen to this. 349 mentions in the ESV, which you're holding, the word walk. The the first one, Genesis chapter 3, and Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden in the what? In the cool of the day. The last mention is in Revelation chapter 21. In other words, the Bible from beginning to end is riddled with the concept of walking. Now, most of the time when Scripture talks about walking, it uses um, adjectives, I think is what they are. Noah, help me out here. Adverbs or pro, I'm not sure what they are. English I was bad at. Noah's very good at it. Most of them include walking in the or out of the 
or by thee. Are the, what are those? Prepositional phrases. What I said earlier, exactly. Now, now listen to this. The Greek word for walk, are you with me? The Greek word for walk is pateo, which literally means to make one's way. Well, the Hebrew equivalent to that word means life. Now, when you and I walk, like, I'm not thinking right now, I don't, just, I'm not thinking right now like left, right, or actually right there would have been right, left. I'm not, I'm not thinking left, right. It's just happening. Are you with me? Like, when most individuals walk, it's left, right, left, right. You just think move or you move and you walk. For most individuals, walking is as second nature as Breathing. Some walk slower than others, some walk faster than others, but that's what it is. Now, culturally, many thousands of years ago, walking, mind you, was the primary mode of transportation. Were you aware of this, right? So if you're an ancient Jewish resident, you often walked places, okay? Now, yes, you would ride a donkey and an occasional elephant and giraffe for fun, but normally, normally you walked, like, that was the steady, primary mode of transportation. How many of you guys like treadmills? Awesome. One of us. When Jason and I were training for the marathon, uh, the treadmill was my friend. I, I didn't like outside, right? Because easier inside on the lungs, you know? And then, anyway, you guys know the story. So, it went bad. On a treadmill, it's designed for what? Ignorant humans. You stand on it and you just move, you know? It moves, and you move. It's natural. You know what I'm saying? There's nothing, like, you don't have to figure it out. But then they added all the computers, you know what I mean? And so then you're like, whoa, I'm going like 80 miles an hour? Like, how does that even work? It's crazy. Now listen to this. The psalmist writes this, and we need to hear this. Verse 8, uh, Psalm 86, verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. If the Greek word implies life, then what the psalmist is saying is, teach me your way, O Lord, that I may live in your truth. Walking scripturally is coherent with life. So do you understand the passage now? When it says this, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, while we live in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now, what does it mean to walk in darkness? At night in my house, it's very, very dark. Anybody else? You like it dark at your house? Some people like a lot of lights. We don't. We have a monitor in our room. I don't know if you've heard of these, but for babies, they, you set them up in your room so you can hear them far away. It's really a brilliant um, technology that, that is, is nowadays. But at night... Normally about four in the morning, right when you're in REM sleep, Avery will wake up and she'll, Daddy, I'm, I need my blankets off, you know what I mean, or something like that. Just right in the middle of the night, you're like, what, you know. And now, to negotiate the way between my bedroom and upstairs, let me tell you, is a hall. I have to get out of my bed, all right, first of all, which is, you know. And I have to somehow negotiate around the box fan, which sits one foot from my face, literally. I have to negotiate. Then I have to walk around the bed, and I have to walk through the dining room. Thankfully, in the dining room, there's some light coming in from the windows. So 
So at that, point, at that moment, you have a little bit of break. You're like, oh, sweet. Once you hit the stairs, blackout again. You're like, oh, my, you know. You start walking up. Once you hit Avery's, like, concave up there, her apartment, you know, she like, I'm making it sound like she rents from us or something, you know. Once you hit Avery's, Avery's complex up there, it's completely black. And so to get back to her room is, I mean, you just, and I, I can't even see her when I'm in there. Like, it's completely black. So it, if I'm literally feeling, like, I've hit her in the face. She's like, Daddy, you know. Like, sorry, you know. Now listen to this. Over and over and over, when I walk back down to our room, I cannot tell you the number of times that I've stubbed my toe. Anybody else at night? But not just that. Stubbing your toe is, is bad enough because at night you want to scream, but you can't. You're like, ah! You know? But not just that. The corner of our bed, the corner of our bed is this pointy edge. Literally five or six times I've caused myself to bleed because I, I like cut the corner too early. You know what I'm saying? And so I cut the corner. I'm like, ow! Oh, you know? And I like look down. And I've literally the next morning have a red slice across my leg. All I would need to do is invest in a flashlight. <laughs> or use my phone. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. That's what they make those for nowadays. Listen to this. My pride of not wanting to buy a flashlight, thinking that I can do it on my own and negotiate my own way through the darkness, is masked by cowardice. Like as great as I think that I am deep down, that I'm able to negotiate even in this silly story. At the end of the day, pride, though rooted in sin, flushes itself out in cowardice. All I'd have to do is buy a flashlight. All I'd have to do is use something else so I wouldn't have to go through this pain. To walk in darkness is to walk in cowardice because you don't want the light to reveal. You're scared. You're afraid that once the light hits anything, like in my story, all I would need is the light and I would never stub my toe and I would never slice my leg unless I tripped and I was clumsy. But you would never do that. Once the light hits, you understand, it reveals all truth. To walk in the darkness is to walk around like a coward, afraid of being found out. So you're living in the reality of your pride that's fleshed out in cowardice. And Scripture is clear about what the deeds of darkness are. Anti-God. Next question. What is the tension between claiming fellowship with God while not existing in it? Because the passage says, if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Let me tell you something, and many of you are experiencing this here tonight. The tension created by those who out of their mouths say oneness with God, yet are living in the darkness, have inwardly an incredible identity crisis that's happening. You are completely confused about who God is, about who you are, and about what your need is. And it's caused you inwardly just to have this incredible amount of an identity crisis. It's, yes, it's hypocrisy. Now, keep in mind, who is he writing this to? He's writing this to who? Who is he writing this to? Come on. Yeah, Christians, churches in Asia Minor. 
So he's calling out here the individuals that out of their mouth are saying oneness with God while their lives are walking in pride, cowardice, not wanting and desiring the light of God to reveal all truth. Friends, you see the wretched nature of walking in the dark. This is why the church must claim victory in the blood of Jesus, and listen to this, the nature of God as light. Personal question of reflection for you guys. What has your experience been of walking in the darkness? Scripture makes it clear that all of us do. We're all born into sin because one man sinned, Romans says, we've all sinned. Because Adam sinned, now we have all sinned. So we all are naturally, when we're born, walking in the darkness. From my little girl Avery to each of us pre-Christ. Are you with me? That is our natural walk. We lie and we do not practice the truth. Verse 7. But, and I love this, the rhythm of this verse is set the stage in verse 5, problem in verse 6, answer the problem in verse 7, problem in verse 8, answer the problem in verse 9, sum it all up in verse 10, verse 7. But, if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Basically what John did is throw everything tasty into one verse. And this is, this is an unbelievable verse. First question is this. What does it look like to look at a blank screen while we're all... What does it look like to walk in the light. So if walking in the darkness is living, existing in the darkness that's not revealed by the light of God, that's hidden, then what does it mean to walk in the light? To walk in the light of God is to be against the identity crisis that the darkness provides. To walk in the light is to daily... Why do I say daily? Because the passage says, the passage says, walking. Implying that this is something that's happening continually in my life. To walk in the light is to every day answer three questions. Who God is, who I am, and what my need is. To walk in the light is to answer those three questions daily and allowing the the answers to those questions to be fleshed out in an anti-dark life. In other words... Who is God? If every morning I wake up and I'm asking myself, who is God? But I'm not just asking. Through my time in the Word, I'm seeing who He is. I'm seeing His nature. I'm seeing His character. I'm seeing His faithfulness. I'm seeing the blessing of His Son, Jesus. I'm seeing how His blood uh, uh, cleanses. I'm, I'm seeing all of the nature of God. When you start off your day answering the question, who is God? And the light of truth is opening and revealing the Word. Do you understand how beautiful it is to begin your day out that way? I'm reminded every day. And tr- I don't know about you guys, I need a daily reminder. Anybody else? I mean, I need that daily reminder. Then it leads me to, who am I? <laughs> I open the Scriptures. Without Christ, depraved. Messed up, disobedient. 
will always choose myself, will always choose my own desires. With Christ, all of a sudden, I become the mobile temple of light to a dark world. And if every day I'm reminded of who I am in Him, that without Him I'm nothing but with Him, all of a sudden I become a disciple, a used individual of the gospel of Christ. Do you understand what it leads to question number three? What's my need? If every day my need, I need you. Because clearly, in answer to the question of who you are and who I am, it's clear I need you. And so everything today is going to be about your glory because I desire, because the Spirit that's enabling me to do that, to be obedient, to love, to encourage, to be in fellowship with you. I want to encourage you guys, and I've, there's so many people that always ask me, Mark, so like, what, is, what does a daily walk with Christ look like? What does it mean to daily walk in the light? Friends, there is no identity crisis because the light of truth reveals all who God is, who you are, what your need is. Next question. What does the word cleanse imply? Are you guys ready for this? Are you guys ready for this? Sweet. Thanks for that. Um, The word cleanse, listen to this. The word cleanse in the Greek is kafarizo, and it means to purify. Now, at first glance, we read the verse, but if we walk in the light, as see us in the light. We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So for, we're like, okay, so what does it mean to be cleansed of all sin? Like, what's the, what's the Christian word for... Listen to this. If we're walking in the light, like the verse says... And then he attributes that the blood of Christ, what? Purifies us from all sin. What he's talking about to a culture who is struggling living for Christ daily, he's talking about this word biblically called sanctification. Everyone say it with me. Sanctification. Oh, marvelous. Marvelous. Now, the biblical concept of sanctification, listen to this, is the daily work of the Holy Spirit that's making you and I, those who believe, more like Christ. It's the regenerating process of the Holy Spirit that by the blood of Christ is daily transforming our life. It's the process of our walk with Christ. Are you with me? That's what sanctification is. And so he adds here, we have what? Fellowship with what? With, with what? Look at your word. Fellowship with what? With one another. All these things are in one verse. So, let me paint this picture for you. When the people of God have all recognized who they are and what their need is and what their answer is and they do that together and the answer is the blood of Christ together, that's fellowship. One intent, one need. We all need Jesus, and we're praying that He will continually sanctify our lives as He makes us more like Him. Are you with me? That was the challenge to this church. You think that the flesh is evil? Problem is, you're living here. 
You're walking around. And even though Scripture is clear that we'll never ever be perfect on this earth, it's clear that we're to walk in the light. And so when we walk in the light, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, are you with me? That sanctification is and should be happening in believers. The Holy Spirit should be making your life as a believer look more like Christ. It's not your work. It's not your deed. It's nothing that by your will you can do. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And you remember, when we taught on the Holy Spirit, what is the key? Yielding to the Spirit's power daily in our life. Are you with me? Maybe not. Question of application. Have you ever lived true fellowship with others? Have you ever lived it? When one group of people all have the same need and together locked arms are saying, Oh God, would you sanctify us together? May we be that church, amen? May fellowship be here. And that's why if you're not a believer here tonight and we say come in and just be yourself because the light reveals anyway. There's no, long, there's no need for you to live in the truth any longer. Just come in. Let's journey together. Let's be open and honest about our sin. And what we'll also do here is we'll be open and honest about what, you're, what you need. You need Christ. I need Christ. Everyone here needs Jesus. Are you with me? Verse 8. If we say we have no sin... It's just kind of funny. You know what I'm saying? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the what? And the truth is not in us. First question. What is the cultural issue with sinlessness? We're talking here Asia Minor. What's the cultural issue? Well, listen to this. For a Gnostic, they believe that what is evil? That the flesh. They believe the spirit, which is eternal, is what's good. So a Gnostic believes that because the flesh is just going to go away anyway, and I'm going to be out of here, that essentially they are perfect. He's talking to a specific group of people at a specific time. If you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, and the truth is not in you. Next question. How is the sinlessness still sought after today? Because at first glance, we're like... Well, I mean, I could tell you right now 15 scriptures that tell me I'm a sinner. I mean, I, I, mean, I could just, I could list them for you. I've got the bookmark in my Bible. I'll show you later. It's amazing, beautiful colors. I'm a sinner. We all need sin. We're all sinners. All of sin and fall short. Like, we can just rattle. We can just rattle them off. Okay, can I ask you this? Do you appear, as the light reveals all truth in your life, do you appear like you believe that you're a sinner? Would people look at you who are not believers of Christ and who are believers of Christ and would they say about you, that person knows that they are a sinner in need of Christ. I don't care how much scripture you can rattle off until it takes hold of your heart by the Holy Spirit and we reveal that truth by how we live. That's why James says, faith without works is dead. That's when, my friends... We reveal that we truly are. So are we, are we Gnostics? I hope not. 
But do we struggle with the concept of sinlessness in our life? I believe so. Friends, I'm calling us to task as a church to recognize daily our need that we may not deceive ourselves. Remember the deceive ourselves. Next slide. This is the reflection question I like to ask you guys at this point. How does pride deceive people into not needing Christ? How does pride deceive people to not needing Christ? Verse 9 gives us the answer to verse 8. This is a beautiful passage. If we confess our sins, He is, just like God is light, He is faithful, and what? And just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. First question, this passage is amazing. What is the connection between confession and His faithfulness and justice? Now, in the Bible, there is this uh, thing called the Old Testament, okay? All of these ancient books that were written before the life of Christ that were all pointed to Jesus. Now, the very first time that we see this idea of confession comes up in Leviticus chapter 26. No need to turn there. In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 40, the Israelite nation is going head-to-head with God in complete disobedience, and listen to what God says. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me and also in walking contrary to me so that I walk contrary to them. This is like God's biggest run-on sentence ever, right? So that I walk contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies. Listen to this. If then their uncircumcised heart is humbled... And they make amends for their iniquity. Listen to this. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. And I will remember my covenant with Isaac. And my covenant with with Abraham. And I will remember the land. You see this? Their confession would cause the remembrance of God's covenant with the people. Now, listen to this. God's covenant is not dependent on man. Amen? Are you with me? The covenant of God is not dependent on anything that you and I will ever do. But in obedience, out of the recognition of our need of Him, He says confess. So look, it's not just recognize who God is, who we are, and what our need is. It's vocalize who God is, who we are, what our need is. And so all of a sudden, this connection of confession will reveal the faithfulness of God because, listen to this, He cannot go against this promise to forgive. He can't do it. It's it's incapable in His nature as all true and all pure to say, no, I'm not forgiving when the Holy Spirit causes a saving work to happen in your life and their eyes open to the reality of Christ and we confess our need of Him, do you understand that He can't not supply forgiveness? Can the church say amen, please? Come on. Now, something beautiful happens here. Look at this. He is faithful and just. Hold that word in your mind. To forgive. Now, the Greek word forgive 
is Afe Ami. Kind of Afe Ami. Kind of a, sounds like a tribe of some kind. You know what I mean? Afe Ami. Listen to this. It literally means to send away or to pardon. Now, keep that in your mind and now think about the word just. Now, just is a term of the courts. Just, even biblically, is a term that refers to justice. It's a term that, especially in Romans and other letters in the New Testament, gets fleshed out in this word that's called to be justified or justification. Now listen to this. Sanctification, which we already talked about tonight, is the daily process of the Holy Spirit's regeneration in us, making us more like God. You guys all understand? Justification. Justification means to pardon, to send away. In the terms of the courts, it's acquittal. To be justified happens at the moment of salvation. Are you guys with me? To be justified is when, because of the blood of Christ, our sins are pardoned. We're acquitted. Scripture says, once for all, the sins are gone. And then the process of sanctification comes in and with the Holy Spirit and begins to take place. Are you with me? Justification happens at the moment of salvation. Sanctification is the regeneration process that continues from there. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It is a daily process, but listen tonight, right now. This will be the hardest question that any of us will ask one another tonight. Put this question up. Next question. Do you really desire sanctification or are you just seeking to be justified? Let me phrase it this way. Are you really interested in the Holy Spirit daily reforming your life? Or for you, is God just a means to an end? Are you with me? This is tough. Are we really as a church interested in becoming more like Jesus? Or do we just want the benefits of what the gospel provides? Justification and sanctification work hand in hand. And I want to see a group of people, including myself, get excited about becoming more like Jesus. Are you with me? I want to see a group of people that joyfully connect obedience with a life that's lived out because that's the best way to live. What would it look like for a church to unite in fellowship because of the blood of Jesus and say, Oh God, would you daily sanctify us, making us more like yourself? What if we really had a passion for that? Looking and living more like Jesus, mind you. We take that for granted. We're like, well, of course the church is like that. Really? Are we just using God for our agenda and motives that we can one day have heaven because we're afraid of what will happen after death? Or do we understand that life is happening now? That was the message of John to this Gnostic nation. Life is happening now. Don't miss it. 
Every day that goes by is another day that's possible for you to miss out on the abundant life here and now. Verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him God a what? A liar. So in verse 8 it was we deceive ourselves. But now we make God a liar and His word is not in us. First question, last couple questions here. What are the implications of making God a liar? Have you ever thought about that before? What are the implications of taking something that's all true and all pure and making that for your own motive out to be a lie? That's why, next question, What is the power of the Word being in us? That's why, my friends, we need the Word of life in us. That's why our Scriptures need to be opened and not just opened, but studied and not just studied, but taken in us. So that it can be living and active in us, daily causing us to reflect and share the words of Christ. Friends, what would it look like For a bunch of people just to say, I'm tired of the identity crisis. I'm tired of falsity. I just desire to be sanctified and become more like Jesus while doing it together with the church. Here's the last question of personal reflection I want to ask you. To daily walk in the light as He continues to sanctify us through the cleansing of His blood means what? What it means is we are the church. We've read the scriptures. We've seen what the Bible says. And we become what the Bible says the church is. A bunch of people who say he's good, we're not, we need him. And so because of that, the light comes in us, changes us, and then we go as moving temples, spreading the light of the gospel to all we meet. What does that look like? It just looks like the church fleshed out. Friends, 1 John is written to a bunch of people who have confused the church and confused Christ. May we not confuse the church and confuse Christ. And the beautiful picture of that was on a night with his disciples. And the picture of not confusing who he was as Christ was made evident when he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Is there anything confusing about that moment? Now granted, they came, in, they came in their understanding of it, but at that moment he changes 3,000 years of history and says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of who I am. In remembrance that I'm coming to sanctify you. And then he took the cup. And he said, this is my blood in the new covenant. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And then they heard, if not saw, the blood spilt down from the cross. And they knew somehow that his blood was life-giving. Amen? Look. Calling us tonight to a massive time of church repentance. Of church confession. Not like going to a priest in the human form and having to confess. Scripture says we now have a high priest. And so I don't know what your background is of confession. I'm just sharing with you that biblically, 
Confession is, because of the high priest, Jesus Christ, now we go to Him and confess. I'm calling us now, friends, to confess and repent of our motives of making God our agenda for some means to an end. Repent of our lack of desiring sanctification, of just trying to claim justification. I'm calling you right now, as a sinner in need of the blood of Christ, to look inwardly before you come up as a believer and take this meal and reflect on your need of the gospel. Do you need it? If you do, then I'm inviting you, as you would respond, to come up and to take this meal as remembrance of your commitment to the church of God. May we tonight, right now, have fellowship, oneness, as we remember Jesus. Amen? May we have a time when we join together and become the church. Let's pray. God, by your cross and your gospel, for your name's sake, I pray right now that you would cause each individual in this room to look so inwardly in the light of who you are as light of this world light of our lives. I pray right now that you reveal all truth. I pray right now that you reveal specific sins that need repented for. I pray right now, God, that by your Spirit, you're already drawing us into an understanding of, of, our, of our need of the Gospel. God, I pray right now that by your blood, you cause a tension and angst in our heart that just wants to rid of the darkness that's in our life by your power and your namesake. God, right now, I pray that you will cause and call the church come to you in light of your blood that we may have fellowship with him fellowship with one another confess repent and let's remember Jesus through this meal